0: Hello, I'm Mark. I'm Justin. We're the J-Pops. And we are Attempting Parenting in Japan.
1: Welcome to episode 75. Today we're going to be talking about the 2024 New Year's Day Noto Peninsula earthquake, among other things. But first, how about some updates? Justin, how
0: are you? Oh, I'm good. What's been going on? What's (laughs) been going on? Uh... Nothing, just a regular... Time for you guys. Regular
1: old week. <laughs> you
0: know, Nico. Um, <laughs> he got a haircut. Uh, he, um he's, he. I noticed he's really started shooting a basketball instead of just dunking a basketball. He's taking a few oh. steps back. So, big development. That's good. We that's spent nice. uh, we spent four nights in a shelter uh, because of the oh. earthquake. Um, oh, you don't say. Yeah, it uh trapped our car in a mountain. We had to climb down that and then it went to the shelter uh Nikos, a normal yeah, Tuesday. Yeah, and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. And Thursday. <laughs> and then uh Nico he started singing a little bit, so I think that's developmentally significant. But uh anyway, what about you? Any any updates? <laughs> uh
1: so there's a yeah. the, there's a whole lot to unpack there, it sounds yeah. like. <laughs> yeah. We I don't want to just uh I guess just ignore it and go on with some updates. <laughs> yeah. Let's I don't call, really have much.
0: Let's call <laughs> our time in the shelter. That'll be our segment. And then we okay. Can, we can time update time a little sh- Shelter. Yeah. <laughs> we were deep in the shelter.
2: <sighs>
1: um, yeah, I guess I'll just get on with a few. Coda 21 months doing well. Nothing to report. Um, we haven't been sick. It's been great. All right. That's Emma good. is nearly 4 months. She's got another week and she'll be there. Mm-hmm. And she's doing really good. She's uh yeah, developing fine. Not that I want to, you know, short change my own kids update time, but you know, I think we should talk about this earthquake that happened. What do you think? Yeah, let's
0: get into that. Um uh I think, yeah, we, let's just shift the whole earthquake into Segmenton. We can put it yeah. right there in segmenting. So yeah. let's head over there ASAP. Okay. Um, I think
1: so, that... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, so take us back. You are in Noto for New Year's Eve. Yeah. Let's just start there.
0: Yeah. You know... I'm gonna even do like a a prequel. I've got like a a preamble that goes back to May <laughs> of 2023. May. Yeah, this is legit. Oh, this... that
1: was the that was the first earthquake, or like yes.
0: maybe the third. But yeah, well, it was this... the last significant one. Yeah, yeah. This is the wildest thing, and I mean, as coincidences go, this is the craziest shit that I think I've ever been through, and this is some mind blowing coincidence. So in May of 2023, there was uh, a Noto Peninsula earthquake that was like a 5.6 or something, which is significant and it, you know, shakes mm. everything. It's pretty notable. It was in yeah. the news. Um, and that was during Golden Week. So, of course, during a holiday, we usually go up to the grandmother's house who lives right up at the top of a mountain up there in Noto. So we had in the freed, there were five of us. It was me, Ayumi, Nico, and our uh, Ayumi's two parents, and my in-laws were in the freedom we were about 10 minutes away from the grandmother's house and the earthquake mm. hit we probably talked about this on the podcast back in May but you know i was driving up this mountain road and the car started shaking around and i was yeah. like oh is a tire coming off or what's going on and then our sirens went off on our phones and we realized uh. oh okay it's an earthquake and then Nothing happened, though, and we just kept driving and got to the grandmother's house in about 10 minutes, and then, you know, she had a bit of damage, the wall cracked or something. So, that was pretty much the beginning and end of that story. This time, we had been up, because it was another holiday, we went up on the 31st, stayed the night, and then on the 1st, we had, like, you know, stayed there, had lunch and everything, and then we were coming back home, we had just left, and we were, like, okay, again, like, 10 minutes away from the house, having left this time. And then the earthquake hit, but it means that we were the same five people in the same car on the same road, <laughs> and I mean literally within like a few dozen meters of the same spot on the same road as when that other earthquake hit. And Justin. Yeah. are you saying that you're the cause for the <laughs> NoTO earthquakes? I think it might be inadvertently <laughs> triggering NoTO earthquakes by driving my car over the certain spot. Stop taking a freed into yeah. a mountain. Yeah, whatever you do. Don't <laughs> angering put, the gods. Don't put five people in the freed. My friend the other day said it was final destination, and eventually oh. all five of us are meant to be killed in an earthquake yeah. on that spot on that mountain. But it like that level of coincidence absolutely blew my mind. And there's yeah. another like something I just learned was there's something called a foreshock with an earthquake sometimes and it's mm. as opposed to an aftershock sometimes there's yeah. a smaller earthquake before the main one and there was a foreshock for this earthquake there was that, yeah, yeah I don't think it's talked about much because the big earthquake was such a big story but the foreshock itself was a 5.0 yeah and when that hit that was identical because the previous one was a five six back in May yeah and so I was driving the car and I was like it started bouncing around and I was like this can't be an earthquake because we we're exactly here in this car doing this exact thing. There's no way that this is an earthquake. So I dismissed the idea of an earthquake as too <laughs> unlikely. And I thought, is the tire coming up? And I just like went back to my other line of thinking. So I'm never right in my assessment of what's going on. But um, then, of course, the sirens, the cell phone sirens or alarms go off and we're like, oh, my God, it was an earthquake. You know, this little 5.0 thing. Yeah, And uh, then in the car. We were talking about it, like, what are the odds of that? What a coincidence, you know? And then we were just <laughs> kept cruising down the road. And then it was four minutes later, the 7.6 earthquake hit. Mm. And uh, then that's when all hell breaks loose. Because, like, a five is kind of like a fun, bouncy, scary thing. But yeah. then a 7.6, everything's destroyed. And then uh, it's a totally different experience. Well, it's not just the size of it, but the duration. Like... That first five was pretty quick.
1: Yeah. Like I remember feeling it here and I was watching Emma at the time and we're standing in the kitchen and I saw some glasses move and I felt a quick rumble. So I picked her up and then like I was like, oh, okay, that was just a small one. Yeah. But then that big one came and it lasts for I don't even know how long it lasted. It felt like a good two minutes or something.
0: Yeah, I couldn't say. I would like to see the number on it because I was, in my mind, I felt like a minute or more, but uh, I didn't know. And we were basically as close to the epicenter as you can get because the epicenter. You're like on top of it. (laughs) Yeah, it was a little bit slightly just out in the sea, but just right on the the, uh, coast. And we were way, way, way up in Noto. I mean, you could go down the mountain on the other side and then be slightly closer, but we're pretty much as close as you get. Yeah, but um, yeah, that was the thing is also a five is big enough that once mm. it starts and then stops, you kind of think because that's the thing with an earthquake, you feel it shake a little bit and you're like, is this going to be like a three or are we starting a nine? You know, what's coming? Yeah. You don't know how yeah. bad it's going to get when you feel the first little shake. But then when the five started and was significant enough and then stopped, you assume like, oh, okay, well, that was our earthquake. and you don't yeah. expect like a much larger one coming up later. Um, yeah, but um, just to get into the actual, the earthquake like itself, the seven six. We're on the mountain road, and there's it's a proper mountain road like where it's a sloping like mountain. Is this dirt? No, it's paved, but okay, it's, it's like where the mountain slopes down really steeply to one shoulder of the road. Okay. And then, then you've got your road that's level, of course, but then it just falls away to the abyss on the other side of the road. You and know, like, like no shoulder, no like guardrails, no. The where we were, I mean, the guardrails are off and on depending on how right like narrow the road gets or whatever. So there was a bit. It wasn't continuous guardrail, but there was some in okay. there. But it was definitely like when you look over to your left, you see nothing because it's just right. it falls away that severely um and it is wooded it's not like a it's not like you're in the yeah. Himalayas or anything so it's it's tall trees around but it's like a sheer like you know i don't know what the yeah. percentage is 70 80% like it's a significant slope you can't walk over there you can't drive your car over there it's just like a straight up you know right sheer drop and uh, we're going on that and the roads like a mountain road is barely big enough for like two cars to pass each other you know and then hmm. uh when the big earthquake hit, obviously everything's shaking and like little limbs and branches and stuff are falling onto the car, not like doing damage, oh. but you're just seeing like sticks and stuff come out of the trees. <clears throat> and then, uh, the way you know it's really bad is like the road, like in a movie, just starts buckling and changing the shape like in front of you. Yeah. And it's like the whole cross section of the asphalt from the right shoulder to the left shoulder, it like the, the asphalt would TP itself upward, you know, there would be a a crack and then it would like come up in kind of a, a triangular prism shape, but it's so big that it's makes a little wall and it blocks the road. You can't go through it at all. Like it would be up to the hood of your car or higher. And so, um, we, I saw those and that was probably, I'd say 10 or 20 meters ahead I saw that and I was already slowing down so we weren't going to hit it or anything but yeah the asphalt made like a wall in front of us and then I stopped and looked behind me and the road back there was crack it was uh, breaking along the seam in the middle and dividing in half you know like how road right. like splits on a seam and then the side that goes down the mountain it was sinking a little bit and like just the whole side along the like the down mountain side it was like sinking here and there, and making little mm. divots, and and not little, but you know, like longer than our car. It would kind of make like a little hollow. The pavement would right. just sink down a bit. So um, that was worrying because yeah. like, <laughs> like ten or twenty meters ahead, you can't go. Ten or twenty meters behind, the road splitting in half and falling away a little bit. So you can't go that way. And right. then, uh you just the thing about that moment is you're looking around, and I don't know how everybody's mind works, but When I was, like, looking at it, I just want something to base a decision on. Right. You know, you have to decide, like, I want to do the safe thing here. What's the safe thing? What are the variables? What's the info? And then you look around and it's like, well, even my best decision is meaningless because is it it one of these massive trees going to just fall and crush the car? Is a boulder going to come rolling down or is a full rock slide going to come down? Or is this road just going to vanish and we're going to like landslide down this little gorge? Right. And uh, then you realize I could go forward five meters. I could go backwards five meters and any of those things could happen or I could just stay here. Mm -hmm. And uh, then you just you try your hardest and think as hard as you can and as quickly as you can and realize that even that doesn't mean anything right and, uh, it's a real kind of like helpless feeling because you can always game it a little bit but there's just like nothing to do you know and kind of a uh, cra-
1: yeah a crapshoot like what part of what road like nobody yeah. knows that until it goes
0: yeah and then that's the only thing you're look- searching for so it's really kind of desperate and uh yeah th- that's a scary thing to so be how faced long with.
1: did you guys stay in the car then
0: because obviously
1: you stayed in the car during the earthquake that's the safest yeah. spot
0: yeah, well, uh, the one thing I landed on decision-wise, I was like, the only thing I can do is at least stay mobile, so I've decided I'm going to position the car between the road problems in the front and the road problems behind me and get kind mm. of in the middle of it, and then I'm going to gamble on <clears throat> drive rather than reverse, because it seems easier to like <laughs> jump forward. So I put the car in drive and had my foot on the brake, and I was like, if I see something coming for the car, I can at least gas it and then jump forward a little bit and dodge one thing. So I've got one play and that's one dodge, (laughs) but then I'm going to run into that asphalt that's ahead of me. And then I'll have no other moves, but at least that's one thing I can do is move once, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I didn't actually need that, but that was the only thing that I could think of to do that was mildly proactive in that situation. So, um, I was sitting there just looking around, just trying to see if anything's about to fall or hit the car or slide into Mm. us. And then uh, it basically, it was still shaking a bit, maybe basically kind of stopping. The other thing was there was somebody else with us on our however many meters stretch. There's another car there. Oh, like in your caravan or like just some random person? Random person. And we didn't yeah we didn't know him uh but he was behind me and uh i guess i didn't even notice him maybe he was quite a bit behind me and then we stopped and then he approached you know as he was like trying to maneuver and get away from the danger but uh he was a crazy old dude and and his wife was in the car too they were like quite an old couple and he came up behind my car just honking his horn wildly like
1: out of the way out (laughs) of the way beep 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 beep,"
0: (laughs) and then i was like man You can get around me if you want, but good luck with the asphalt wall that you can clearly see that's blocking everything. And so he, like, honked his horn and zipped around us and then stopped immediately at that asphalt. Obviously. Yeah, and then he, like, backed up and then, uh, I mean, he backed up and turned and did a, he turned around. He was in a K-car, and he, like, turned it around on the road. And then he was like, honk, 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 beep, 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 and then, like, went by us the other way. And um, he was going back toward the split in the road, you know, the seam that's open. Yeah. And uh, it's unlevel. And uh, I was watching him and he was like headed for it. And I was like, he's oh, going to wow. try to go down that thing. And uh, <laughs> I, in my mind, I gave that guy 50 50 odds of like, I don't know if it's strong enough. I think it's going to make a little landslide or he's going to, that half yeah. the road's going to fully fall away under the weight of his car and he's, he, yeah. they're both going to die. And uh, I was watching him, and I was like, it's 50-50 that I'm going to see them go over the edge right now. But he got onto the seam, like wheels on one side, other wheels on the other side, yeah. and he just cruised and made it. And, Man, uh just the did... balls of an og son in yes, a K-truck. Yeah. <laughs> I think, like, based on his, like, wild honking and the disregard of, like, oh, there's asphalt up there, but I got to get really close to it and then turn around and come back, like, um, I think he was purely in panic mode and not thinking oh, about anything yeah. oh and, yeah and uh i don't think it was calculated at all but he went down so then we're just sitting there and uh then it stopped but then we're like on this mountain edge and the road's so messed up and we're like right what do we do what do we do and so we uh we decided like well his car made it down through the seam so mm. we should go right now And try to make it down too. And maybe we can just drive all the way down the mountain and get out of here. And so I turned our car around. And then I just gassed it up and just went over the same, like, broken seam pavement that was kind of, like, uneven. Yeah. Nervous about it, but also thought, like, if you go fast, and plus he made it, and so it should be okay. (laughs) So (laughs) we, like, we zipped down that. And then almost immediately... 'Cause it's curvy and you can't see very far and it's all trees and everything. We encountered that same car again. Oh, okay. Because uh another scene another wall. Yeah, another wall. And it was just okay, literally you can't drive there because it's like the asphalt's just sticking up straight. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so then the old couple were parking and getting out of the car and then uh they were just walking. So then we realized, like, yeah, hmm. us too. But it's crazy because as crazy as that old dude was, we did everything that he did, you know? Like, yeah. But yeah. I'm, he was the crazy one to do it first. And uh, he tested the scene for us by being so crazy. <laughs> uh, so then we realized we got to park and we got to get out of this car and we got to walk uh, and just oh. go. So so at this point, you didn't go back to the grandma's because you were too far. Yeah, I mean, it was a ten, 10 minute drive, but it was more like, what's the closest thing we can get to? And oh, okay. Ayumi's mom uh, grew up in that area and it's like quite a local community. So she knows pretty much every gotcha. house, every little side road. And she's like, oh, we know the people who live in that house. And so we can go there uh-huh, okay. and ask them. So she had a rough idea of like the closest thing to us right now is like two plus kilometers away. And, uh, if we can walk down this crazy road and there's snow everywhere, you know, it's like way up the mountain and it's January 1st, but if we can just walk down and get past all this road, then we can kind of target their house, which we never, we never ended up going there, but that was our initial plan was to go find this certain house she knew. Um, Mm. but we, um. We're also in somewhat of a fortunate position because we had spent the night with the grandmother. So we all had bags packed with at least one or two changes of clothes plus, like, toothbrush and some diapers Mm. and extra stuff, which if it had just been a one-day thing, we wouldn't have had any of that stuff. So we started looking around the car, like, what do you take and what do you not take? And um, I had also done some work at the grandmother's house, so I had a full toolbox that I packed with everything and a drill, so I had, like, tools and stuff. And we were looking around, like, what do we grab? So, of course, the first thing that I think Ayumi's mom said was get all of the liquid, like any juice, water, coffee, anything you can drink. Mm. And then also any little food we had for the road. uh, Yeah. Take that. And then we were like, should we take, like, one set of clothes or do we try to take all of our clothes and all of our bags and stuff? And then we realized, like, well, it's... I had checked the temperature because um, I wanted to know if the roads were going to be icy before we left the house. And the temperature was 2 degrees Celsius, so like 35, Mm. 36 Fahrenheit. So it was cold, and it was pretty damn cold. Yeah, this was at 4.10 p.m., I think, and sunsets at 4. Well, by the time we got out of the car, it was 4.30. Sunsets at like 5, and then up in the mountain, it's pitch black by 5.30, you know? Yeah, So. It's going to be freezing or below, and we thought, just take all of the clothes. If the bag's a little bit bulky, it doesn't matter. We just need yeah. layers of clothes. Yeah. Uh, and then I was thinking about the tools, and I was like, what's the point of any tool at all? Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, if I had, like, the jaws of life or, like, something serious, but it was just screwdrivers, <laughs> hammers, rulers and stuff. Yeah, that, uh, cordless drill like and plus you know, every got a house, fashion and a life-saving device exactly <laughs> and then like every house that you pass has essentially the same toolbox so yeah. why would you grab like 20 pounds of tools or any tools yeah so no. I, it seemed very fortunate at first to have tools and then I thought that's the least useful thing here we just got to get out of here yeah. so um, another key thing uh, was I, I had the baby carrier where you strap it to yourself and put the baby in it mm. we hadn't used that baby carrier in like months and months because Nico's just getting too big for it and he can walk. But um, anytime we go anywhere, I take that baby carrier because I think like, what if we have car trouble, we run out of gas and then I end up needing to walk kind of far with him. Yeah. Then I need to just, even though he's too big for it, I need to just strap him to me. So I had that in my hands on the 31st thinking like, I need to make space in the car. I could just ditch this. And I was like, nah, if there's car trouble, I better keep this stupid thing. Hmm. So I did... I had it out of the car and then put it back in the car and I was really grateful. So that would be some parenting advice is always have a baby carrier in your car uh, yeah. Oh until the kids, whatever at three or four until he physically cannot fit in it anymore. Yeah. You want to be able to walk with them a long distance. So, um, I strapped Nico to the front and then I put a bag on that was kind of big. It had all my clothes and all Nico's clothes. And I mm. wore that on my back and then, uh, Yumi and her dad took their bags with clothes and diaper bag. And then Ayumi's mom took her bag. And Ayumi's mom actually took a shovel that we had, which was a good move. Um, mm. It was a really, it was a collapsible shovel. Uh, so it was easy to carry. Nice. And, you know, you could run into rock slides and snow covering the path and all that. So that sounds was a like good... a countryside lady for sure. Yeah. She knew the roads. She knew the like what That's to do good. in a way so
1: so um, then you guys left that car there and it's just still i assume
0: on that little mountain road it's theoretically still up there um, <laughs> Theoretically, it's schrodinger's uh, car right now yeah, it is, I've, i thought that exact phrase before it's one letter <laughs> away it's schrodinger's car um we left it on the first and just walked away I left the, this was Ayumi's dad's idea, but I left it unlocked and left the key in it because eventually, mm. if it survives, somebody's going to try to repair that road and then they'll need to move the car to continue repairing the road. So right. uh, we'll possibly help them out to do the work faster and we'll possibly get the car back sooner um, because yeah. I just left the keys in it. So uh, we just walked away from it. And um, then later, this was on the third, I think, January 3rd. We talked to a guy and we mentioned that we left our car somewhere. And then by the description, he was like, Was it the blue car? And I was like, Yeah, yeah, that's our car. And this guy was like somewhat in charge. And I think he had been out surveying roads the day before. Uh-oh. And he said that he saw that he saw our car. And um this was in <laughs> Japanese, of course, but I, I think I understood what he was saying was that it stuck out to it stuck out to him. Because it was in such a bad place. <laughs> <And> <laughs> he was. He said he also noticed that there was a child seat in the car, and then he thought that it was quite sad <laughs> for, the, for the family uh, who had that yeah. car there <laughs> with apparently a child. And I was like, yeah, I, yeah, I guess it was, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. <laughs> yeah. But um, at the time, this is something I noticed about every element of the story is that there's bad stuff that happened. But mm. it was at the time for us, we felt like they were solutions. You know, it sounds bad when you tell it. But at the time, we yeah. were happy with certain things. Like we had the yeah. baby carrier and you're like, oh, thank goodness we had this baby carrier. This is like making our lives so much easier. But then when you yeah. tell the story, it's like he strapped that baby to his chest, climbed down the mat. You know? but for <laughs> us, we were like overjoyed that we had that thing, you know. Yeah. From our perspective, all this stuff was really quite positive because like the situation's bad. So you're sunken down to this like zero, you know, and then any little victory that you have is like a little boost up for yourself. So um, I think it sounds worse than it was from our our perspective, you know? Yeah, for sure.
1: I mean, my initial thought for that whole thing is like that road's going to get washed away while I'm on it.
0: Yeah. Well, that's the concern. And then you don't <laughs> even know your future. Like maybe the road could already be washed away. And then you'll just yeah. reach a point where you can't go anywhere. Because yeah. if the road's gone, you're talking about like a 70 or 80 degree like dirt mountainside yeah. slope that goes way down. So you would just have to stay there. There would be nothing yeah. to even try. Uh, so we encountered everything but that when we walked down that road. Like, there that's were- good. Little not boulder boulders, but like that would come up to your thigh, like sort of boulders mm. that come down that were in the road, easy to walk around. Of course, Uh there was like a storage building, barn or something that collapsed, but it only covered yeah. it only covered half the road, so we got around that. There mm. was a uh, even a moment, or there was a section of the road where a rock slide had happened, and it was snow and dirt and rock, and it was like more than waist high, but mm. it, and it cr- covered the road. But it had like a crack in it that we you could walk through. And hmm. uh, so it w- wasn't solid, but there was like just a little gap that you could squeeze through. So we didn't have to climb over it. You know, it was like a little path. And,
1: this sounds uh, like the opening for like a video game that somebody would make. Like, yeah escape from the disaster area to get to the next level and yeah. you're like weaving
0: through stuff <laughs> it was and there was always a way you know it wasn't like yeah. we were ever hopelessly stuck which we could have That's been good. some people were i'm sure but just for us yeah we always had some way um and then nice. there was like way uneven pavement we crossed a couple of bridges like old bridges and you know how bridges like interlock to the road proper with some kind of metal teeth? Yeah. Like locking system. None of those were flush. You know, it was like it's too high or oh, too yeah. low. You could tell that things had really shifted. Um, but it was also I had Nico. So um, half it was to protect him as the baby. But then half it was because I was going to be off balance carrying all this baby weight, you know. Um, mm. and then carrying a backpack as well. And it's now getting pretty dark, and there's snow, and then the road, like the pavement's loose. Yeah, And sometimes you have to step up a foot or two and down a foot or two, and everything's all a question mark. So I asked them, I said, like, can I just never lead in this walk? And then Yumi said, like, yeah, we should put somebody ahead of you and somebody behind you to make sure mm. that you don't... Like, because if one of them trips and stumbles it's no problem but if i trip and stumble then i like crush like land on you Nico crush or a baby <laughs> yeah so <laughs> i felt a little bit of pressure there yeah uh, so i just stayed in the middle and tried to watch my step and then tried to do what gotcha. other people did and like uh step in their footprints to not get on some uneven thing that hadn't been tested and so on nice so, how um, uh
1: how long did it take you guys to get to that
0: mountain shelter well the shelter was like something we had to figure out along the way but we eventually you get down to a bit more of a level zone where there are actually, you'll see a house and then yeah. where you start to see a house or two. And this is not common in Japan where all the houses are on top of each other. This is like way space, like where you live basically, but really mountainous yeah. just spaced out countryside houses every so often. Mm. And, uh, some of them are like abandoned already cause it's the countryside. So you mm. know maybe there's no people, but eventually you start seeing people and, uh, then everybody's talking to everybody, and it's like, how far can you walk? Where did you come from? How was the road? Can you drive there? Um, like, right. just sharing all that information with everybody. So uh, then we started to hear in this area, the shelter is, it used to be an elementary school. Now it's kind of an art center, um, but it's hmm. standard elementary school with like a gymnasium and some classrooms and stuff. And uh, small, very small one, but it's there. And uh, they said, that's the evacuation point for this area, the standard evacuation gotcha. point. So that's where people are going. So then we changed our course and tried to head there, which Ayumi's mom has all this in her mind mapped out. She knows exactly where to walk and which little mm. unmarked road to take to get there. So uh, we're going that way. And we keep talking to people and talking to people. And they're saying like, ah, yeah, we heard that shelter's like filling up because everybody's going there. And there's another place that they're checking now that could be a secondary shelter. And so maybe Mm -hmm. we should go there instead. It's not open yet, but um, it's not full either, of course. So maybe we should try that one first. Oh, I see. And so um, they're going to see if it's like intact and then maybe it's good enough we can stay there. So then we ran into... a three generation family it was three women it was the grandmother and then the mother who was about our age like 30s or 40s and then there's a girl maybe 20s i don't know but like our generation and then there was a girl her daughter who was about kindergarten mm-hmm. so say she was about six um, gotcha. and they were in a car uh just kind of parked on the side of the road you couldn't drive far but at least you could turn your car on and have heat and then and charge all... batteries Yeah. And it was kind of guesswork because maybe you could drive far, like people didn't know. So you would just drive as far as you could until you hit a really messed up thing and then go a different way. So because Mm. we had Nico, then they said like, oh, you should just sit in our car and wait here. uh, And then we're going to drive over here and try to check this. And so um, we were like, oh, thank you. Yeah, I tried to give up my seat as well to my mother-in-law but uh i was like i can take nico off he was asleep by the way at this point like he good. <laughs> didn't care much about all this and he didn't have a real nap because we were up at the grandmother's so uh, uh within about 15 minutes of the walk down the mountain he was just conked out and nice. uh, that was pretty nice uh like it's better to have dead baby weight than like live wriggly yeah. baby weight so, yeah um we uh it probably took like forty minutes, forty-five minutes of walking, and it was okay. Well dark by the time we got down and saw other people, uh, and then, uh Yumi's mom was like, "Well, he's asleep." I mean, this was the thinking in our discussion. He's asleep, so we don't want to like take him out of the baby care and wake him up and make him all mm. messy and agitated. And I know the roads like or she, from her perspective, she knows the roads like the back of her hand. So in the dark, she can get around the mountain. With no problem. So it's better gotcha. that I'm in a car with somebody who also knows the way uh, rather than mm. walking at night. Uh, so Ayumi's parents stayed out of the car and Ayumi and I got in the car. and We drove up a little bit and drove back and talked to more people gotcha. and, and all that. And then finally, that's when we learned about the other shelter. We backtracked to try to find the other shelter and ran into the in-laws again and talked to them. <clears throat> and We said, okay, we're going to go there. So uh, we drove up to that place and then our parents and I, Ayumi and Nico stayed in the car and her parents and i went into the shelter it had been opened and they the, a guy had gone through it and said it, it looks like it's fine but uh, yumi's parents and i were the first 3 in the shelter to try and like Uh-oh. set it up and, and find stuff gotcha. and um, this was like some walking <laughs> dead stuff uh, because <laughs> like in walking dead in every episode they go into a house and then they're like raiding it for supplies and inventory right. you know and i've never done that in my life but just to go into a place and like open all the drawers and see like what do they have you know and uh, <laughs> I went to the kitchen. The kitchen's just all broken glass on the floor. So Ugh. this was a major Japanese thing. I wore my shoes inside. Oh, nice! Yeah, I know. <laughs> and that had it to was feel good. Yeah, it was on Japanese instruction as well. Like uh, they're like, no, keep your shoes on. Keep your shoes on. It's too dangerous. So it's like, wow, this is a serious crisis. I'm wearing my shoes indoors. <laughs> but like half the floor of the kitchen was pure broken glass cuz it was like that building was a community meeting house where they would do yeah. town meetings and stuff. And okay. it was one essentially just one room that's about the size of like a good healthy living room. Uh mm. like an American living room that's pretty decent. And uh that's where they would hold the meetings. And then uh, there's a kitchen, like a small kitchen attached to it yeah. via one doorway. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's yeah, a Gen Con yeah. and there's an exterior hallway that goes to a little toilet. No shower, but just like a toilet there. So was it like, uh, was it all like water working or
1: was it all like just like the bottom Benjo style, like a hole in the ground?
0: It was uh it was newly built so the facilities all looked pretty nice there's a, oh, ur- okay. a urinal and an actual toilet side by side but there was no running water but you know a toilet will okay. like flush itself if the water level rises so yeah. you could uh the toilet would like the water level would flow but there was no water running into it um i guess there gotcha. must have been i don't know i don't know what to say oh you had to pour water in it to like make it in go the down. tank uh yeah or just in the bowl and once it rose so high it would go back down oh, i never okay. used it actually i just kept going outside <laughs> gotcha before we knew if like maybe the plumbing's come loose or whatever everybody went outside yeah makes sense and, um anyway we're in that little room and then i was like searching around and uh i ended up finding in the room itself i opened the closets and i reached back and i pulled out an 18 pack of toilet paper and again Ooh. It was like video game, like, <laughs> score, like, add it to the inventory. You've got toilet paper. And that was toilet paper for everybody for the, you know, the, the days that we were there. Um, And oh, I was like, man. Sweet find, then. What a find. <laughs> uh, before that, they had found a roll and a half, like a loose roll and a half that were just somewhere. Uh, so we were thinking, oh, that's it. Uh, that's not good. But found that package. And then I also found a box full of hangers, which... I found useful. Not many people actually used, but because we have jackets and other clothes, so yeah, it's better to put them out of the way and hang them up rather than yeah. have it crowd the floor. So I or put if hangers. You have wet stuff, leave it. Yeah. up. yeah. My jacket got like we got rained on a few days, and so it was nice to hang up. Um, so I put hangers on every spare, like little screw hanging out of the wall or any That's good, any place I could. There, I put hangers everywhere. Um, and then there were a few kerosene heaters because it is a meeting house and then yeah you know they're gonna be there for just the regular meetings so uh, oh. we dr- were they the freestanding down. or the ones you have to plug in They're freestanding so um oh okay that's no good. electric required. I don't know if that was foresight on their part or if that's just what they bought but uh, mm. it was just a straight like light a match and turn on the kerosene heater oh sweet uh, they had three of them actually so it was we put like, we used two of them in the little room and it was decent enough. That's good. Um, But anyway, by the end of the first day, 17 (laughs) people came to our shelters, but four families, basically between these four families, it was 17. And as a family goes in noto, the majority of the people were old, like elderly, you know, like family is like two very old women who show up together. (laughs) and you assume they're related? I guess two or three like that. And then we had, the youngest kid and Nico at one. And then there was the other family that we rode with in the car. They had that girl mm-hmm. who was like maybe six. Uh, but then everybody else, well, there were probably some teens in another family, like older teenagers actually. Uh, so okay. I guess it's a good mix of ages come to think of it, but it was more than half uh, elderly. At this point, had you figured out what happened to her grandma? Cause I assume she was still back at her house. Well, yeah, right after, there was still cell phone coverage. Um, and oh, okay. After that little 5 earthquake, they called back to the house immediately, and they were like, oh, yeah, it's a crazy earthquake. And then after the 7.6, they called again from the car like while oh, we were okay. scrambling around trying to get our stuff together. <clears throat> and uh, we learned that they were fine. Um, oh, did I mention that Ayumi's uncle had driven up to do oh, the no. New Year's as well? So as we were... About to leave, like within an hour or two, he showed up actually on New Year's Day, and oh, okay. Um, he also, you know, was raised up there in the mountains, so he has like the, yeah. no, the know how of of living up there, kind of removed. Okay, from. So she wasn't all alone, and yeah, and gotcha. of course the uncle's in his sixties, and I suppose yeah, he's probably right at sixty or a bit over, yeah. And the um the grandmother is I think eighty nine now, so crazy. It's the two of them, but. The thing is, they're the most capable people that I know of. Like, because the eighty-nine-year-old grandmother still farms and stuff. Like, she yeah. maintains, I think, four fields by herself, and she, uh, like, she's a JA member. She is a farmer, so uh, she handles everything. When she goes to her farm, she carries a stick because she said every year she sees at least one wild boar and she has to fight it with a stick. You know, like that's her <laughs> daily life. So um she like nobody worries about her. She'll just get through it all. And uh, nice. Nice. In, the, in the back of my mind, I've always thought I've literally thought before if something bad happens in Kanazawa, like a big earthquake or tsunami here and we have to vacate, we're going to go right up and live with her, not only because she's isolated and up the mountain from any danger here, but because she's the person I know who would be the most likely to take care of us and tell us like, you know. Uh, yeah you farm this this way at this time of year and you're being lazy get up go you know like, that, <laughs> so uh if she had us yeah. there then she would just tell us what to do and she's the most capable person i think that i know um do you know how her house fared through both of the quakes yeah eventually later we got photos uh and her house got pretty ransacked the structure of it is sound and i don't think you could tear her house down if you wanted to it's like one of those old japanese houses okay. that's all like massive massive beams like that are interlocking sure. and uh it's been standing for i don't know 80 90 years that house was built before they had electricity uh-huh. up there so it's just okay. this it's survived every earthquake and everything and it, it hasn't budged but The walls themselves, like the clay wall or whatever, you know, that all like cracked and fell down. She has a lot of the sliding doors with big glass panels in, and those glass pieces shattered all over the place. Right. Paneling in the kitchen, the paneling fell off the walls. So it's, it looks bad. Uh, but with a few thousand dollars, you could get her house back to where it was, I think. Hmm. I mean, would you want to at this point? I mean, that's a big question for the family. Yeah. I mean, she's 89, and how much do you yeah. want to invest? Uh, and then, like, is she going to eventually, within a year or two, find the whole life up there a little too difficult and maybe move yeah. down to Kanazawa anyway? So that's a big. It's impressive this- being
1: 89 and farming, but yeah. at 89 and farming, you don't have any more,
0: many more years left yeah farming (laughs) man i remember years and years ago i saw on cnn they were talking about okinawa because okinawa has like the highest percentage of hundred year olds in the world okay according to records and those are kind of dubious but um uh they were interviewing this one woman who uh was still actively farming and she was over a hundred and she had she had like pear trees and they would show her like climb up a ladder and then ditch the ladder and then just walk branch to branch through the trees and pull off pears or apples or whatever she it was. Like a hundred year old monkey? Yeah, she was a what she was over a hundred. And then they God. were interviewing her daughters who were like in their seventies and eighties. And they're like, Well, we can't get her out of the tree. She just keeps harvesting. But uh <laughs> so theoretically she would slow down, but we've been saying she'll slow down for 10 years and she just hasn't. So mm-hmm. she could just keep going up there indefinitely. I don't know. It's 50-50 that she'll outlive well, me. I guess my main
1: concern would be like, <clears throat> do I want to keep driving up here every year with the potential Tr- of a natural triggering, disaster? Triggering earthquakes yeah. every time. Yeah. Uh
0: I mean yeah. you're two for two now. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> Not a good record it's last no. year. So uh but there she has stayed some winters down in Kanazawa for a, like a month or two at a stretch. Um, okay because the snow is the hard thing you could easily right especially with the snow that comes off the roof sometimes you open the door and it's like 10 feet of snow literally yeah if it's a heavy snow and then it slides off her massive roof then uh yeah she gets stuck up there a little bit and then she has to shovel her own way and that sort of stuff so that gets hard to deal with and then mm. that might push her over the edge to come back to kanazawa i don't know but anyway she's fine and uh okay they actually came back to Kanazawa on January 2nd. It was day two. Oh, and, really? Uh, I th- would have thought that was impossible, but it's her son, uh, Shun is his name. He has a four-wheel drive car that's okay. uh, not like a low-riding station wagon, but kind of a station wagony y like uh, a little bit gotcha. higher off the ground thing. Four-wheel drive and it's a ROM, R-A-U-M is the name. Oh, of yeah. It.
1: I like those little cars.
0: Yeah. And uh, I think he has it because he lives in a little bit, a little bit uphill here in Kanazawa anyway. So I think he has yeah. it just to navigate his own roads, but he's also raised in the mountains. And then he brought some like metal rails or tracks that you would use, you know, you like a ramp basically, I think, to <laughs> load something into a pickup truck. Yeah. And then he took those with him in the car and it was so... Somebody, I think in the 60s and a lady just pushing 90, just the two of them on like the first <laughs> official day after this massive earthquake that destroyed everything. And he took those tracks and he would drive through the mountain. And then if he came to a bad part of the road, he would lay them down and drive over it and then pick them up and then keep going. And wow. he just did that over and over and over. And it took him an entire day, but he eventually got all the way to Kanazawa before anything Crazy. had been repaired. Like that blows Crazy. my mind. Yeah, that he actually made it. Uh, And then he was saying like the next day, you know, eventually we got a little bit of cell phone coverage. It was spotty and then it vanished entirely. But he was like, I think I can come up and get you guys, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but but by that time it was. And the crazy thing about him, if you meet him, he doesn't really talk and he works in the city office. So you view him as like a pencil pusher Uh. Uh, like, cubicle guy, you know? Not, like, an action guy. <laughs> yeah. But he's got all of this in his background that he just can do it because he grew up for, I don't know, the first 20 years of his life or so in the mountain mm-hmm. environments. Um, Crazy. So he's got all that in his back pocket. and uh, But by that time, actually, the third day, the fourth day, the roads were more controlled and they needed to limit traffic for, like, emergency yeah. vehicles and stuff and you would get turned away. So yeah. he, he got out before the system came in and sort of like took over control of the roads for yeah. rescue and all, uh, yeah. and for, you know, rebuilding and supplies and everything. So,
2: so
1: in all that time of there, you didn't have anybody like no SDF or
0: anything like checking you guys out, being like, is everybody
1: okay? Like here's some supplies.
0: At the end of day two, I heard somebody say that the SDF was in the area. And then on on January 3rd day three, I saw SDF trucks, but we, uh, I think it was the end of day two, maybe like 10 o'clock at night, somebody came by and they gave us like shrink-wrapped Red Cross blankets. And they said, how many people are here? And we said, whatever. And then they gave us X number of blankets. So somebody was there in an official capacity giving blankets. Okay. Um, I didn't see that person and it was really late and I was already in bed. But uh, then we also... Never received official food like in a like here's a crate full of supplies for food and water. Uh, we we got food and water, but it was mostly people would go down to their house because there were people in the shelter who lived just down the road. But oh. the shelter was where people gathered and it was a safer building. So you don't stay yeah. in your house, even if your house is right there. Yeah, uh, So they would just walk down to their house and get some food and then bring it back. But of course, you're trying to feed like 17 people. So every meal was pretty sparse. Um, like, uh, okay. like one day's lunch, it was literally an onigiri, which is a little rice ball. And it was a no ingredient, no topping. Just here's a handful of yeah. rice uh, in plastic. And uh, then maybe it was a miso soup with it as well, which is just water. basically, you know, with yeah miso. So um, that would be your lunch. Or then I remember one day we had dinner and it was like a, what do you call the bowl of rice with meat on top? I can't remember the word. I don't eat this. Eight. It
1: depends on the meat, I think, right? Isn't that yeah. like gudon or... Yeah, a don, if right? it's got egg, oyakudon.
0: Yeah, it was that. And they gave us, they had those. And I think it was pork or something on top and then, and rice okay. in the bottom. And it's a bowl and it's definitely what you would order for yourself. For one person in a restaurant. And then you would also have a couple of side dishes and drink. But they gave us that bowl and they were like, okay, this bowl is for you, Ayumi and Nico, you know, it's like oh, this God. one bowl. But then there were like, there was food kind of flowing around, like uh, somebody would be like, oh yeah, I got some Mekons. And one time somebody said, I think it was day two. They said like, we have no power. So here's all of the ice cream from the freezer that we have. it was like yeah it was a plastic bag full of i was like why do you guys have so much damn ice cream it was like a an enormous amount of ice cream and uh we just like everybody get two ice creams or whatever and just eat them um so uh otherwise they're just gonna melt so we had what a day for nico yeah that was the other thing like child wise um for the parenting aspect of the j-pops it's like all bets are off for food you try to you know, control like, oh, don't give him too many sweets, but we were giving him chocolate. It was like, here's a, you know, those little single serving ice creams with a spoon. We just fed him a whole one and he was loving it. Um, but it's just like anything we can get into this child is going to be good. Uh, we also, there's a thing that you do, like, uh, you prioritize the kid, of course, because, right. And it's not, uh, hmm. honestly, we weren't, starving starving like we were hungry every day but we weren't sure. like a, afraid of where the next meal was going to come from because there was always some little bit of food coming yeah you're hungry all the time but you know that there's probably some i food feel around.
1: like i feel like this works
0: really well with your kind of extreme dieting mentality you were probably yeah. like oh i can do this yeah exactly <laughs> and i i have been like used to hunger and actually my weight's come down a lot uh but with the new like, kind of more extreme diet that I'm doing. But even up that there. New Year's <laughs> diet. Yeah. <laughs> up there, I lost about five pounds because we were hungry all the time. And I I weighed yeah. myself every day. So when I came home, I weighed myself out of curiosity. And I, I went down about five pounds. Even after like the last year of not eating much anyway, <laughs> I lost right. additional um and uh, I told that to somebody yesterday, uh, Yuko at, at Curio, and she was like, "I can tell in your face." And I was like, "Oh God." <laughs> but um, but again, it sounds bad from the outside, like, "Oh, you were hungry. That's bad." But from the inside, we were like, "Man, there's food coming all the time. This is good." Like, yeah, this is, this yeah, of course. Nice. And so we felt very positive about it. Um, though again, we were definitely hungry. But uh, uh, yeah. So it wasn't about Nico. It wasn't that instinct of I have to sacrifice for myself so that my kid may live because it wasn't that dire. You know, right. It was basically I don't want him screaming in this room because he's slightly hungry when there's like 17 people that are going to be annoyed by it. And then they're all dealing with problems. And I don't want to make another problem by having a screaming one year old. So, yeah. like, anything that we got our hands on, we were, like, stuffing Nico with it, and then we would eat just the scraps of it and uh, just try to, like, get him to a content place because there were already enough problems. I gotcha. That's good. Um, so,
1: take me through, like, the uh, to finally getting out of there.
0: Well, um... Not to rush your story, but... Yeah. <laughs> no, there was... uh, That was hit and miss because, as I was saying, like... The communication was next to nothing. Um, because we there was cell phone at the beginning, but then because there's no power, eventually even the towers die, you know. Right. And the towers, I heard everything up there is just what people tell you. I heard that the towers have backup batteries to get over a hump, you know, like if there's a oh, okay. power outage for a day or two, then there's enough. Battery to keep your cell phone active. But then eventually, even those batteries died and the towers fully died. So there was just no right. cell phone available at all. And uh, there, there was never power when I was there. We were there for five days um, and I didn't see hmm. any electricity where we were. There was another shelter that the main shelter that we walked to eventually to communicate with them. Uh, they had a generator running. So there was some limited power that you could get in there. I don't know if everybody got plug stuff in willy-nilly or if it was more controlled. So here and there they had generators, but I never actually saw electricity for those five days. Uh, Gotcha. But uh, anyway, it was hard to organize rides and how to get out because not only – like our car stranded, so we have five people that need to go a few hours south. And then you need to find somebody else who has space and also needs to go. And uh, that all has right. to be word of mouth. So you just have to walk around and go to other shelters and talk to people. And then, oh, this guy's brother. So at these it's, other it's shelters, this. then there's no other SDF or
1: any other, anybody there in an official capacity helping organize
0: anything, right? What I think what happened, um, my sense of it was, is that, you know, in Japanese neighborhoods, there's always organization behind the scenes. Like somebody's the honcho, like in charge of the neighborhood yeah. right now. Or like this guy used to be on the community board for whatever. Those people naturally persist with that hierarchy. And then they are at the shelter and they have a clipboard and they're like, what's your name? Okay, I'm updating lists and we got to send something over here. And they just fall into the role because they have a title next to their name. Okay. Even though normally it feels like a crappy little neighborhood title, like I have to go bang the sticks together at night to yeah. fire or I have to go pass the clipboard around with neighborhood news, that person then is also in charge when something really bad happens. And mm. that's probably the good thing about Japanese hierarchy is there's never a question. It's like somebody's in a job from the moment that something happens. Um, yeah. And so whether or not that person's like very capable or whatever, they're at least – right. And then it's like getting sorted by somebody at some level without any question from the very beginning.
1: But this sounds like a double-edged sword a little bit because then it's like nobody wants to take any initiative.
0: Yeah. And my wife and I talked about And it sounds like
1: your ride situation was part of that. Like everybody's just kind of waiting.
0: Yeah. Well, my day two experience there, I woke up on January 2nd, which is our first real day in the shelter, because we got in the shelter, it was already dark. So then like our first day was Uh, January 2nd. And I woke up, my first thought was like, let's get a game plan together. Where are we going to go? Who's in charge of what? And then like, let's walk here. Do you have any ideas? Like these were the questions going through my mind. Yeah, And we need to talk about it. We need to organize this. But of course, I'm the least communicative person in the room. (laughs) And then I was just sort of thinking like, okay, I'm going to sit back and just see how this plays out. And nobody did anything to my to my like view. You know, I didn't. uh, There were people, as I say, like who were already kind of community people in charge and they Mm. must have been driving around and looking at things. But in terms of people communicating with me or people chatting about, let's do this, let's do that. It just simply didn't happen. At all. Hmm. And it was really frustrating to me. But then after a couple of days, I realized I think what's happened, and I discussed this with my wife, and you know, who's Japanese, and she uh, agreed with me basically that like in Japan, you have a role and you're in a group. And if your role is evacuee, then you fulfill your role as evacuee. It's like, what I'm going to do is sit here and be in this room because I'm an evacuee. Whereas in America, it's like the Walking Dead scenario. It's like, let's pull the resources. I want to do this. Okay, you go try that. Good. Let's see if it works or not. And then everybody is brainstorming ideas and trying to make moves. Whereas in Japan, everybody is identifying what they should be doing according to their role and then doing that to the fullest. Or not doing. Yeah, even if the role (laughs) is do nothing, they're like, got it, I can do that. And then they do nothing. But uh, as you said, like, it's such a double-edged sword thing because imagine in the American situation, a dude goes off and then falls down a gorge, and now you've got more problems because he shouldn't have been doing that in the first place, but he was overconfident, you know? Yeah. Or somebody's like, I'm going to take charge of this because I got guns, you know? <laughs> like, you've got that lunatic, <laughs> and I'm going to be in charge of the food, and I'm going to parcel it, you know, like some crazy guy. But, right. But uh, then also... Like, what if everybody is thinking like, uh, well, I think my car or truck is good enough to go over here and do this. Now your streets are crowded. Whereas if nobody's getting out there, your streets are open for military vehicles and ambulances and stuff. So I think in the American mindset, you're probably creating solutions and problems because everybody's active. But in the Japanese mindset, you're just letting it happen, and then letting the solutions come much more slowly than they might, but in more of a paced, methodical way, which feels right. very frustrating as an American whose instinct is to try and start solving whatever you can. Right. And so I think I think that holds up as what I was seeing, like the explanation of what I was seeing in terms of people just not doing stuff. That makes um, sense. And it actually might have been better. To do that, that hmm. might be a better path because like if you have trust in a hierarchy and trust in a system, which Japan, the entire society as a communal society oh, yeah. is like, we have trust that there's an organization somewhere taking care of stuff. Oh, yeah. If you just rely on that, then it is actually happening because there's FDS, F- SDF is activated instantly and they're trying mm-hmm. to solve stuff and like emergency yeah. services are thinking about it and you can be fully secure in that thought. But I think as an American, I was saying to Yumi, in the back of your mind, you're like, well, we don't know that they're coming up here to help us right now. And we've got to take some command here, you know. And you kind of go into a little bit of like agency mode trying to get through it. But in Japan, you know, there are people trying to do it for me. So I'll just sit back and let them do what they have to do.
1: Yeah, I think
0: you're right about that. There is there's definitely that hierarchy
1: that is functioning and doing its thing. Yeah. As the American, my first thought is though I want to try to control the situation a little bit so yeah. I have a better understanding of what's going on, you know, what what my capacity could be and that kind of thing. Yeah. So if I was in your your situation, I probably would not have been as cool about
0: it. Well, man, I was I thought day 2 I'm just going to see what happens and see how it unfolds and then the night of January 2nd that day 2, I went to bed really frustrated. And I was, like, resolved, like, okay, day three, I'm going to start making things happen a little bit because uh, I'm not just going to – is it going to take, like, a month? Like, when am I going to yeah. go back? Yeah. And meanwhile, we have – we're not going to be able to bathe our one-year-old. Uh, we have no diaper supply now. Like, I mean, diaper supply is not adequate for even a few days oh, you with know, like, six diapers to begin with or five or something. Uh, well, at least then, he's not a constant pooper. Yeah, exactly. His constipation's <laughs> paying off. Although he got into the swing of things up there for some reason, he was like oh, shoveling in food, eating more than he's ever eaten, <laughs> crapping twice a day. But um, that, here's another parenting tip. This was a little bit of a MacGyvery thing, but um, if you ever find yourself in this situation, it's very old up there. You know, everybody's old, so um, we so they all have diapers. They all have, there's diapers, but they're adult diapers. <laughs> So literally uh, we were up there and we were just chatting and then we said like, oh, yeah, you know, we only have maybe like five or six diapers. And then one of the families said who can just walk to their house in a few minutes, they said uh, we have we used to have an older person living at our house and uh, maybe they went to a care facility or maybe they passed away. I don't know. But they said uh, we don't they're not there anymore and we still have a package of their adult diapers. And we were like, wow, we're like, yes, please. Anything that's absorbent that we can figure out oh yeah so then they walked down and got them and gave them to us they gave us uh it's actually kind of a huge liner i guess that's meant to go in your underwear or something but it's definitely adult sized
1: oh okay it
0: it didn't have tape on the sides and it wasn't like a pull-up you know with leg holes or whatever it was just a big sheet that i think is meant to sit inside your underwear and okay uh, we more like a woman's sanitary pad kind of like like that but like quite but really massive like maybe uh over a foot long and damn uh, yeah and it's really designed to like a diaper does goes all the way up all the way back and like to your you know to your waist in the front and then around and up to your waist in the back and so it's obviously too big for nico so at first we like cut those in half and put them inside his diapers because his diaper fits him but we just made like a liner and insert basically and then cutting it in half made it a little too small so we just kept the whole sheet so it was like coming out of his pants in the front and coming out of his pants in the back Uh Uh, (laughs) but it but then we would slide that inside his diaper so it fit to him and then he would go and we would change him and his baby's diaper was totally dry and we're like it worked so we were throwing away the adult diapers liners that we had made and uh I think he wore one diaper for like three or four days because it never got wow. uh, wet at all. The adult diaper contained everything. So that's, and again, that's one of those things. It sounds kind of sad, <laughs> but then yeah. for us, that was a pretty big victory. It's like, well, diapers taken care of. That's no man. That's, that's great. Like I was thinking this whole time, like,
1: oh, they had like two diapers that four kids just pooping all over. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, we it was like a solution just landed in our yeah. laps that was a little bit awkward but it um it okay. worked and we even we took some for the road too we took like 3 of those for the road in case you know we yeah. got sidetracked or couldn't make it all the way and when we finally got home i was like i'm keeping these things like this works man i'm just going to have them <laughs> wear one of these for a day at the house actually but it saves us a <laughs> diaper you know i'm not throwing that away that's good as gold um so uh We actually organized a ride for January 4th and um, it's kind of a complicated story. It was like somebody in another town who was previously in our shelter, but then had moved on to another town and then they were in a different shelter. Then we're going to go meet with them and then we're all going to go down together. But this was all like really hard to discuss and it was a lot of word of mouth. And um, then finally day four happened and the people that were supposed to we're supposed to ride with them to the next town to meet up with the other people. As soon as we got out of town, our cell phones connected to like one bar of some random tower oh. that was still operating. They also they sent up vehicles with towers on the vehicles. Like it's a Yeah, I uh, heard they were doing that. Yeah. Like an AU car. Like AU is a cell yeah. phone carrier. An AU car with a a tower that you can stand yep. up on the top. So you'd see those around and then but we you have to be an AU person to use that one. So like we never got to use it when even when it was outside our door, you know. Oh, what a bunch of dicks. Yeah, seriously. Um <laughs> if you'd like to sign up like somebody's out there with yeah. a clipboard, give me your Emergency bank account information. Services. Yeah. yeah. Okay, but, sorry uh, about the disaster. So that's going
1: to be 6,000 a month? <laughs> yeah. But I don't know
0: if maybe it's incompatible or whatever the situation is, but uh we Like, got out of town, and then our cell phones all started going, ding, 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 because everybody suddenly got messages. And the people we were riding with checked their voicemails, and they said, the roads are not open today because they need the roads closed for only certain vehicles. And so it we were hyped on January 4th, like, we're getting out of here. And then uh, on the road, we are packed up, we said our goodbyes, got in the car, 8 a.m., we're like, we're going to make it home. And then within 20 minutes we got the word and we pulled over and then made some calls and those people found out that the roads are actually closed. And so we just uh, turned damn. turned it around and sadly came back <laughs> to the shelter and like got uh. our blankets out again and got our mat out again and sat down in the corner <laughs> again. Um, But then uh, we had worked on another ride with another guy and it was like his brother needed to come back to Komatsu, which is South of even where we mm. are. And so he was going to pass by Nonowichi where we live, and he could drop us off. But the ride that he offered, he said, I'm going to leave, depending on a lot of stuff, sometime on like January 7th, 8th, or 9th, I think is the window, he said. Oh. And so we were like, yeah, just if you have spots in your car, even two spots, we'll take two spots and we'll send one parent with Nico, you know? Like just get yeah. Nico back to civilization and real yeah. diapers and real food and all that. And uh, he had three spots, and we were like, okay, Ayumi and Nico and I, we can take – that would be great. But we thought it was going to be like a week later, you know? And Uh uh, so then we kind of ditched that ride because we had something on the 4th, but then the 4th fell through. So then we found those guys again and told them like, yeah, we're back on for that ride on the 7th through the ninth." And uh, then that dude just randomly showed up uh, at our our place. Uh, I think he – I can't remember the order of events actually, but uh, I was out on the road trying to get cell phone coverage because I learned when we left town, oh, you can mm. get one bar of cell phone if I walk all the way the hell through town and then out of town on the other side and then go through the country oh. a little bit, I'll find one bar of cell phone. So right. I, was, I was doing that and then I was way out there and then... uh just on foot. Also, nobody has bicycles up there because it's the mountains. So, like, why are you yeah. going to ride a bicycle through the mountain? Nobody even owns a bicycle. And I asked, yeah. like, do you have a bike that I could take to go get sell? And they're like, nobody. What's a bike? Like, nobody does that. <laughs> so um, I had to walk all the time. And then, uh, I mean, you could catch a ride, but gas was getting short by that time. So yeah, I was way out there. And then the dude who's going to drive us happens to go by in his pickup truck. And the nice thing hmm. about being the only foreigner in like 10 square miles <laughs> is they're like, oh, yeah, they said a foreigner is going to ride with me. That must be the guy. So yeah. he pulled over his <laughs> K truck and he was like, hey, yeah, you're the guy. right? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And I had seen him briefly before. Uh, uh, and so uh, he was like, hey, yeah, do you want to go tomorrow? Like January 5th, which was ahead of schedule. Oh. And we were like, yeah, definitely. And he said, I think we can go tomorrow. But... I said, like, uh, let's go talk to my wife about it because she speaks Japanese. So let's just make sure we get all our ducks in a row. And uh, he was like, okay. And he had his mother with him. So the K truck's full. So he's like, get in the bed of the truck. We'll go back to the shelter. (laughs) I felt like I was a child in Kentucky again, riding in the beds of pickup trucks. And uh, I just held on to the rack in the back of the truck. And we went back through town and then organized the ride, and then he said, like, yeah, we're going to try mm. to do it. So that dude was in his late 40s, I think, or somewhere in his 40s, mm. and in his teens, like from 18 to about 26, he said he was in the SDF. So oh, okay. he knew self-defense force guys who <laughs> were active in the area, mm. and uh, so that meant he could call those guys and say, like, Hey, are you guys gonna close the road on this day, and the, or is it gonna be open? And then they could give him relatively up to date information. Um, oh, that's or, cool. You know, he could meet with them, or if he got out of town, call them or whatever. And he had access that other people didn't have. Uh, wow. So after the disappointment on the fourth, I didn't really think we we're gonna get back on the fifth. But then that guy said, like, well, I talked to some people, and I think it's gonna be open when we need to go and uh right he said so i'll pick you guys up at seven thirty in the morning to be sure we can get on the road while it's still open um and right. the, the roads were complicated because sometimes like one direction was closed but the other direction was open right um, sometimes the whole thing was closed if it's nighttime it's all closed so i uh, don't want yeah. people out in the dark <clears throat> so it was hard and you had to get out really early hmm. but on the fifth he showed up at our place. He said, I'll be there at 7 30 and we can go. And he showed up at 6 30. And because, <laughs> uh, like, if you changed your plan, there was no way to tell the other people, you know, you just had to like, yeah, go yeah. do it. So he actually came and we were still in the bed and, and on the mat on the floor. Yeah. We had the single mat, by the way, for me, Nico, and Ayumi. And then Damn. Ayumi's dad was on three Zabutans, which is like the cushion that you sit on in Japan. Oh, he, yeah. Like, lined up three Zabutai. And then the mother, uh, Yumi's mom, also had, I think, three little sitting cushions that you wedge together and sleep on. Mm. So the five of oh, us were okay. sleeping in, like, this tiny corner of the place. But he showed up and then came in, and uh, we were like, okay, okay, let's get up. And we just got all of our stuff together and said bye to everybody. And then it was about nine hours on the road. Damn. We car- we caravanned with another family. It's not a family, really, but it's just people who need to go south that yeah. far. And uh, there were five people, I think, who it was a father and four kids who were all junior high school, high school age. Uh, They were all among our two cars, plus us, plus an older Noto dude, plus the former SDF dude. Okay. And we were spread out between these two cars and stuck together for the nine hours. And So you guys are like,
1: I I saw on the map, you're like little... Refugee center was like kind of dead in the middle of the Noto Peak Peninsula. Yeah. So like when you guys were coming back, you could have gone like more west towards Wajima or like
0: more south to like Suzu, Noto. Which way did you like head out of there? I I don't actually know the routes because like I didn't have phone reliably. uh, So you didn't see any signs like Um, this was Wajima? I don't think we went as far over... Uh, west is Wajima. Um, you know, okay. the, big, the big Wajima thing was they had like 200 buildings burned down in yeah. Wajima. Yeah, it was uh, crazy over there. Yeah. And so, like, that area I think was dealing with a lot of support and, uh, they needed that kind of access. Yeah. So I don't think anybody was driving that way. Uh, so I think so we generally came, came south, down more like Nanao and then cut yeah, through. We, yeah, we ended up going through Nanao, yeah. And then uh yeah, so okay we went I'm not sure the exact road, but we went more south than over to the the Sea of Japan side. Oh, okay. Okay. That makes um, sense. But the crazy thing is, I think for the first like five hours of drive, which it's supposed to be about a two and a half hour drive door to door from yeah. grandmother's house to our house, for the first five hours we were still in Noto. Uh and yeah. it was like that drive was Incredibly slow and stop and start for so many reasons, like a road would be single lane, and it would have those like, you know, red light. you wait for two minutes. Oh, and then yeah. all the traffic comes through and then you get the green light and then you use the single lane, that sort of thing. there yeah. that happened several times because a maybe half of the road had collapsed, but the other side was fine. So you would just go on the side that was fine. Um, or B, there was a massive rock slide and then they only cleared enough of it just for a single car's worth of path to go through. And I mean, rock slides that were like two times as high as the car itself and with massive boulders and stuff and with construction equipment around where they had made a path or, uh, C, a building collapsed and was in the road, but they cleared enough of it that you could just drive around it a little bit. Um, Hmm. And then also there were certain sections of areas, like the whole town or several blocks of the town was closed off because of too much destruction. So then you take like little uh, tombow like roads through the fields and you're trying to navigate like a line of cars through fields um, yeah, on like single lane little paths. But then there was also moments where it was like, um, uh, oh, hold on, I lost my train of thought. There was also like, okay, this road is fine in terms of the lanes open, but it's all cracked and busted everywhere. So you have to go about three miles an hour over the busted up parts. Right. Um, and we saw loads of vehicles with just either totally flattened tires because they hit uh, a chunk of too asphalt. hard. Yeah. Or there was a car that must not have. Sometimes it's deceiving because it look it's all black and it looks flat, but then you get up uh-huh. on it and you realize there's a little drop off or something, or there's a bit that's sticking up. We saw a car that would have hit like something like that at full speed, and the whole front of it was just ripped off, and the tires oh. popped and everything. Damn. And like the it just shredded the bumper, so you have to go so slow, uh, and yeah, just and cruise around left and right, take all kinds of detours. Yeah. And the other thing was. Even if a road was like best case condition, like two lane traffic, you know, um, there were so many ambulances and fire trucks that were coming through with sirens. Yeah. Everybody would have to very slowly part over to the shoulders and create a space in the middle for an ambulance to cut through. Yeah. And then very slowly, like get back into it and then keep going. So. man, it's crazy. It's like that. Just like, I mean, that's like
1: 40 miles, I think, from my house. Yeah. And, like, the roads around
0: here are perfectly fine. Yeah. Well, the wild thing, that was the craziest thing about finally getting back into Kanazawa is you get into Kanazawa and it's, like, people, like, oh, there are shops open. And yeah. And there are people on the streets having a lunch in a cafe. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> like, when I was coming back, I was like, I wonder if people are back at work and everything or if, like, convenience stores are open. It's like, yeah, of course, everything's just open. It's everything's fine Everything's open. Yeah, But it was literally, I mean, a two-hour, what should have been a a two-and-a-half-hour drive or two-hour drive. And uh, even for us, it was just one day's travel. But it's a totally different world because basically a few roads are impassable. Mm. And if the roads are impassable and there's damage, you can't get up there to repair things well enough. And then it quickly becomes like you're living like it's 100 years ago and going on word of mouth and everything.
1: Yeah, I remember... Like going up there when uh, I did my cycle ride around. You've done it too. You've cycled around Noto. Just getting in and out of that region, there's like only just a couple roads. Yeah. Like you're saying, and like they're not very good to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> and then you throw this massive earthquake that destroys half of them. <laughs>
0: yeah, and it's also like I was thinking, I was writing about it for the paper, and then I was like, you know, from A to B the road is broken in, I don't know, hundreds of places. (laughs) Like, yeah, (laughs) you could spend a good amount of time repairing it and then you go 10 meters and you'll need to spend an equal good amount of time repairing that and then another 10 meters and and so on. Meanwhile, you've got to clear off a house off of this part and clear off a boulder off of that part. And if that's your one of two roads, it's like, yeah, you're going to be suddenly very isolated. Um, And something I don't know is what do the ports look like? Cause it's all surrounded by water. It's a peninsula. Right. But there was the tsunami. So I don't know if the ports are accessible either in terms of even little like piers and stuff. I don't know what that's like on that side. No idea. Yeah. And Noto has an airport, but, uh, we stopped at the airport actually on our way back cause it's, oh it's got generators and, uh, um, yeah. it's also kind of a hub of supplies. So we went To Noto, we stopped in the parking lot at Noto Airport and walked into the airport, and there was a table of just diapers and uh, baby wipes. Oh, that's cool. And it's all sizes. And then we walked up and we were like, what do we do? And they're like, you just take diapers. (laughs) 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 Like, that's what it's there for. And (laughs) so we found uh, Nico's size of diaper and took like three diapers just because still we didn't know if we were going to be able to get back all the way in the first day. Yeah. Um, We heard stories of people like they would try to go and couldn't go, but then they would have to go to a new shelter that they hadn't stayed in before because of the timing uh, of when they are trying to travel. So we thought we might wind up in a totally new place in a new shelter and have to start over again. Crazy. So we were, like, resupplying on the way. But, um, yeah, that airport, though, I, I heard in the news that there were, like, 500 people stranded in that airport because they were just travelers, and I guess oh. it was kind of an evacuation point, too. So for the first couple of days, it was, like, full of people as its own little shelter as well. Hmm. but by the time we came through on the fifth it was empty and it was more of a like a way wayside place where you could get some supplies and use the bathroom and have a changing station for kids and stuff
1: that's good man it must have been surreal like especially going from like you know like you're saying like a hundred years ago basically living to then you're back in your house which you told me
0: before is basically unchanged Yeah,
1: Not even like a picture got rocked.
0: Yeah. Our house, it was just like, I mean, it was not like nothing happened. It's that nothing happened in our house. (laughs) And the key is, I've said a bunch of times to you before, but like Nico is a block stacking fool. So all over the house, yeah, just like towers of blocks that he stacked up. Not even like linking up like Legos, some of them are, but like just random stuff that he stacked. And we came home and it was all still stacked. Like just (laughs) child's blocks and toys and stuff just randomly piled up in a precarious tower that didn't fall over in our house. And um, then it's also weird to go from like needing everything one day to the next day. You're just in your house with electricity and water where nothing bad happened. And people are still reaching out like, can I pick up something for you from wherever? And I'm like, no, man, I'm in like first world luxury now. So it's done (laughs) for me. It's over. (laughs) Um, but yeah, a couple of, uh, let me like rattle off a bunch of very sad things. (laughs) One is you feel some guilt because you have a place to escape to, and it was hard to get here. But then you think like the people in the shelter who live two minutes down the road, that's just where they are now. And yeah, it's like X number of weeks or months before their situation is going to be back to semblance of normal or oh yeah at least their house Those roads are
1: gonna take forever
0: yeah and their their house so... was old to begin with and right. if it's off kilter now you can't just live in this house that's like half you know slanted over to the side Yeah. so um like what do you do then and it's noto so nobody has money it's like you're in some kind of yeah farming community and i guess insurance will pay out and things will happen but that's uh we also passed coming down through noto like um Like some mills, like uh, wood mills. Uh Oh. And then those, you know, those places where they, uh, I don't know what you call it, but they get soil and rocks and stuff. And then quarry. Yeah, quarry. There'll be like massive conveyor belts that go way up into the sky, like, and then, you know, dump off a bunch of gravel and stuff. Those, like, everything had just fallen down. And so the quarry's done for. You need all new machinery to start getting those materials available again, uh, you know and of course you can bring them in from outside but as i saw it takes that, a was, while yeah yeah i was thinking like man there go your availability of the materials the prices of the materials and all that's going to be affected just because these yeah. places fell apart um yeah. like lumber mills and everything the machinery falls over and you're like well that's the end of our lumber mill i guess <laughs> and, right uh, that's how. That's well, it also the end of a lot of those people's jobs. Yeah, and that area in Wajima, two hundred buildings burned down. That was like some kind of morning market or something. Was a big tourist. It was, trail. yeah, it was the and big
1: tourist market.
0: All of those businesses that just is they're gone, and then it's similar in many ways to the Tohoku earthquake from two thousand eleven. Mm. Like once you leave, and the cleanup is so massive. You eventually relocate somewhere and then, okay, find a bit of work there. Okay, now my kids are here going to school. And it's like, why would I go back to a half-rebuilt place when now I've kind of kickstarted my life again here? And the population doesn't bounce back. So um, I don't know. Like, for the people who remain, it's going to be even more emptied out and harder to make ends meet and everything. More Akiya. Yeah. yeah. So for... first of all, we came out of it like literally not a scratch on us after Mm. even the earthquake itself and coming down the mountain and all that. And then like staying in the shelter and being a little bit hungry, who cares? And then you you have a place to go back to, that's fine. Uh, But we're like the rare people up in that area that have a place to like, go back to, you know? So um, that, I don't know how that's going to work out. And then the people that we're in the room with for all those days i remember everybody you know and you just think like wow that person's kind of going back to like nothing um yeah so that's not i was good.
1: wondering like you were saying people were bringing you food and stuff in my yeah. mind i'd feel like oh man i gotta i gotta pay these people back or like i gotta yeah. bring them back some stuff have you guys thought about that at all like
0: yeah i Yumi and I, you know, like while we were up there, your initial inclination is like, you're emptying out your house of food. So can I just give you money every time or like at the end of our stay, can I give you like a few hundred dollars because (laughs) you gave me all this stuff? Um, And we had nothing to offer because we were just on the road and we, Mm. you know, we had a couple of like snacks and stuff in the beginning, but it was gone in the first day. So we couldn't really repay anything. Plus... We couldn't do much because we have to watch the kid. So it's not like we can be labor even. We have to like mind this child. Um, So that was kind of canceling out our usefulness there in terms of getting anything organized. But uh, Yumi and I are thinking like, you know, once it settles a bit, at least we know everybody and no address. Even I think my wife's mother sends New Year's cards to one of the families that we were in the shelter with because – Oh, it's that's the nice. little mountain community. Yeah. And, uh, I had my JA hat and uh, <laughs> like Nico was wearing my JA hat and running around and playing with it. And then one nice. of the families was like, oh, I, I've seen that JA hat. That was in your New Year's picture that was on the family picture, you know, from the New Year's card. Oh, nice. And we were like, oh, yeah, yeah, that must have just been delivered that morning of the first, you know. Yeah. Delivered the New Year's cards. So. Uh, people kind of knew of us, and we know of them through the mm. in-laws. So we'll have addresses and the names and all that kind of stuff. Well, that's good. Uh, so we can at least we're thinking like, do you send? You know, in Japan, there are all kinds of traditional gifts. Like you could send towels, yeah. you could send rice uh, in a big bag, you could send like fruits and stuff. So right. I think we'll just go as far as we can with like um lots of food gifts or practical stuff. Um, yeah. You want to give back to the community as well, but it's hard to think of a way to give back to a whole community um, outside of, like, we're going to donate to your community center, which is fine, but it doesn't feel like it's practically helping It feels empty. Yeah. Yeah. And then you also want, like, to make their lives better, but then you realize the only way to make Noto better is to move, like, 100,000 people up there to make it a flourishing kind of society again. Because the problem in Noto is that it just empties all the time and people leave. And then that, you know, houses start to go vacant and just gets harder and harder. So uh, outside of that, there's like not a solution for that area. But then you're trying to think of something you can at least give that helps the individuals. And I guess like just food and some home goods or something. And then if you send enough of it, maybe it's helped them out financially slightly. Yeah, I don't know. I think rice is a big one here. I would just send like tons of rice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you feel like you have to give it back like at least tenfold. Because yeah. You would have been, it would have been really hopeless. Like we were hungry. Oh, but yeah. At least the food that we had coming routinely, it was just coming from their houses. Yeah. So um, if not for that, we would have really been like sick and kind of oh, yeah, like, for an awful sure. situation. Uh, And with Nico, you know, like, that would have been really bad. So we're racking our brains of, like, what gifts can we give? And then at what point should we even give the gifts? Because it's no use Mm. right now, like, trying to mail something. It's just not going to happen. So, No, no, not right now. I also thought, like, uh, there's one lady, you know, that building that I mentioned, we were coming down the mountain. There was a building that had collapsed into the road, but we just happened to be able to walk around it. Oh, yeah. Uh, My wife told me that the woman who owns the property or lives on that property where that building was, it wasn't her house. It was like a barn, uh, mm. it fell down. It was massive as the size of a house, but that's hers. That's her barn. And, uh, so we saw it that fallen down and it's like, oh. man, w- when is anybody going to be able to come clear off your barn debris? And, uh, yeah. And
1: whose responsibility is that? I mean, does she have to pay somebody now? Yeah.
0: Or does a, the government like help with that stuff? Yeah. It's a very good question. So, I thought at some point I can go up there, like just physically, and try to <laughs> clean off some of the property. But I don't really know how to do it or, like, what
2: the. Well, it's going to
1: be
0: a long time
1: before you're able to.
2: Yeah, before you can even. It's because drive up.
1: the roads are fucked. They're still yeah. sending
0: rescue people, and, I mean, we're still having earthquakes multiple times a day. Yeah. And you have to be like that lady has to be in the position of, okay, now I want to get rid of the barn, you know? Yeah. She's probably got a hundred other things that she has to do before she tries to clean that barn up. So it's a lot of like moving parts. And right now it's just a lot of question marks, but our goal is to just, uh, help those Mm -hmm. people as much as we can. Also, I feel that, I mean, just on paper, we have to be better off, like even before the earthquake, because we're like, Younger in Kanazawa with two jobs, you know, in our family. And up there, it's like kind of struggling farming. Yeah. So I feel like we need to like pump a bunch of uh, resources, at least into the individual households where we were staying with those people, you know, that like one on one really helped us out in the first place. I think that would be ideal. Yeah. So it's just a matter of learning how to do it and then Mm. learning the timing. uh, Mm. See what we can do at that point but we're highly motivated to do it so when the time comes we'll do it for sure nice yeah
1: all right um I feel like we could talk about this all day but
0: we are getting a little yeah
1: long in the tooth yeah that work here yeah
0: yeah Yeah. we can wrap up segmenting and uh do a quick jipati yeah It's
1: everyone's japati today. Today's yes. word is
0: daijishin. Yes, sir. Which means big earthquake. Yeah. I had only heard of uh, jishin before, which is just earthquake in general. But then yeah. in Japanese, they'll often throw the kanji for big in front of something that's big. <laughs> big. And, uh, you can have like, uh, I think it's oame, oh, it means big rain, ame is rain. Big rain. Then they'll throw a big in front of it if it's a significant one. And this yeah. earthquake was definitely a, a die or a big earthquake. Yeah. My wife was out walking our dog and
1: our son, and she was like, I don't know, down the road a bit. And uh, when the earthquake happened, she heard on the community loudspeaker, the guy just screaming, daijishin, daijishin. Uh-huh. Just being like big earthquake, and I and she was like, she remembers hearing it and thinking, well, that's a weird thing to say,
0: because yeah. <laughs> I
1: don't think she'd ever heard it with die either, yeah, and she was like, oh, okay,
0: <laughs> yeah, you can just slap a big on anything if it's big enough, yeah, uh, so, yeah, that's yep, that's good Bigger to know. Like, I think I had seen it. There were newspapers that were passed around, and I remember seeing the the big kanji um, mm. in those two. Uh so yeah, I think it's it is getting used, but I had never heard it before for sure. Yeah, just heard Jishin. Yeah, me neither. So there you go. Yeah.
1: Well uh I also have a my question for you. Holy God, you came prepared. Completely unrelated to earthquake.
2: (laughs)
0: Okay. (laughs) Left hand turn.
1: I have been thinking about this question for a couple weeks. Um, because it happens to me i don't want to say daily but it's like almost daily Mm -hmm. and uh since becoming a dad i think it happens to me daily now Uh uh-huh and that is how often do you loop your belt through your pants starting from the wrong side man (laughs) this isn't i
0: don't know (laughs) This is like a warning sign of something, isn't it? <laughs> I can't tell time on an analog clock anymore. <laughs> and I loop my belt the wrong way through. I have never done that, but I'm kind
1: You've of... You've never done that? No, I'm Maybe kind it's because I'm left-handed and I get fucked uh, up sometimes. It could be. But like sometimes I'll feed it through the left and then I'll feed it through the right. And I'm thinking like,
0: wait, which way do I put my belt? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um i started i have a belt that i bought i think when i was a teenager i was 20 years so. i've had like the same belt for like 20 years you know just wow leather belt i have two of them i bought two of them at the same time a black one and a brown one they're still my belts i was probably like 19 um, uh but uh i noticed at one point you know you wear a belt and it's a bit higher on your hips and then it kind of yeah bags down in the front and the back and if you hold your belt out straight, you can tell that there's a massive bow in your belt. Yeah. And I was like, I wonder if I can correct this by wearing it backwards, you know, like loop it the other (laughs) way or upside down or whatever. And uh, then I started doing that. So for years, I purposefully wore my belt the wrong way to see if I could unbow it. And I think it just made it like twice as bowed, and <laughs> it made it bowed uh, in twice as many places or something. Or they're like <laughs> curves on curves, but uh, anyway, so yeah, I've done that on purpose for a long time, but I've maybe now my belt game is strong because I've actively gone both ways with it. So I, yeah, maybe, uh, yeah, okay. Do well, good. I'm glad to know I'm super weird in that area. Yeah. Then. You got a lot on your mind with two kids. So maybe belt is one of those things that your brain sacrifices for child. Uh, I think it is. Yeah. I just totally forgot. <laughs> yeah. Well, good questions.
1: Okay. <laughs> All okay. Good thanks. questions. Thank you.
0: Um, uh, it's solidarity with the, uh, the earthquake. Oh, we should say for people who are not following it, I think, I don't know what the current uh, death toll is and missing persons is, but a couple of days ago, the death toll was in the nineties it was and, in the nineties. Yeah. Missing persons. I think it was nearly 200. Uh, it was like yeah. one 60, or something. Uh, so we're going to skip the dad jokes. I did want to say about, um, it, yeah. it was very sad up there. You get the, uh, the radio like emergency radio, you know, battery powered, just right. FM radio. People had those. And, uh, a lot of the broadcast was just listing names and ages of missing people. And oh, uh, you would just huddle around because in that area, you know, like it's a community and you know the people. Yeah. Or you know the family names of, oh, that, that household has been several generations or so. You know the family. Uh, yeah. And especially when we were riding back in the car all day, uh, the dude who's driving us is from that area and he had the radio onto one of those. And just the radio is just lists of names. And then the dude, every like 10th or 20th name, he would be like, Oh no. Oh man. You know, like I, him. And then they're reading off ages as well. So you hear like all all range of ages from older people to like single digit, like children. Yeah. And uh, then you realize it's a family and they're listing everybody and all the ages of everybody. So uh that was really like a shocking, sad thing, but uh it's um yeah, something in those in that neighborhood, like a bit maybe the death toll's past a hundred now, I'm not sure, and then something a little bit south of two hundred people were missing, and uh I don't even know the injuries, I mean hundreds and hundreds of buildings gone and burned and everything, so that's mm-hmm. those are the stats, and that's um pretty sad stuff, but uh it's at 126 dead i think oh rally wow so that's um that's popped up the yeah a couple of up. days um they say that there's a, a three-day or what do they say a 72-hour like golden period uh, they call it yeah of finding people but then after yeah. 72 hours of being trapped then you start to like there's a drop-off in terms of surviving it so uh, it's been what are we on now the sixth or seventh day after Mm. so yeah i guess the numbers are gonna uh, jump a bit uh but um you had a you had an ill-fated foray into dad jokes which was our inspiration for avoiding dad jokes today
1: yeah so in in a lot of like emergent like not emergency situations but like i tend to to try to go lighthearted and like avoid like being too dramatic when things are you know, I guess dramatic. Yeah. And so when people started messaging me to see how we're doing over here, I was trying to like ease the tension a little bit in my messages that I would send back to people. Uh-huh. And so the first couple I would send, people are like, "Hey, how are you doing? Are you guys okay?" and I would be like, "Yeah, you know, we're we're a little shook, but doing good." <laughs> yeah. And uh you know, I was just trying to, you know, lighten it a little bit. And I realized after the second time I sent that, and I got no positive response from either of those. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: I was like, you know, maybe I should cool off on this.
2: Yeah. a bit. Yeah. So people I started sending
0: like, that. People are <laughs> like, delete contact. <laughs> <laughs> like this guy. <laughs> Mark said. To yeah. Me. Uh, you
1: know, yeah. but that's like a, it's a real defense <clears throat> mechanism, I think especially yeah. for me like when things get really serious i tend to try to divert that and try to make people feel a little bit more better about the situation so that's just yeah. kind of the natural thing i go to i'm not trying to be like a dick yeah. <laughs> and like play make light of the situation but i am trying to like you know
2: yeah
0: yeah i've uh, i've noticed too if if i'm delivering some really bad news I'll often, like, strangely laugh or kind of chuckle as I'm saying yeah. it. Yeah. And what I'm laughing at is how awkward and bad the news and the situation is. Yeah. And, like, man, I can't believe I have to tell you that, you know? And it's, yeah. like, that kind of posture. But then, as you said, it's a defense mechanism, and it's almost, like, bordering on, like, I feel like I'm weak, you know, when I do that, because it's, like, I yeah. can't just straight say the thing that I have to say. I have yeah. to comment on it as I'm saying it or something and then uh yeah so I've I got a respect for people who can just straight up tell you what they have to tell you it's not me but I'm I'm in your same boat or I feel like I have to kind of like at least to some degree like laugh at it as I'm saying it because it's so absurdly bad Um, yeah but yeah it's like a it's a really serious time up there and it's pretty pretty wild um we could do a podcast of depressing things that i didn't talk about with the the stay up there um but that'll be our uh, offshoot podcast of um yeah if mood. we ever get a patreon
1: going we'll charge everyone for that one <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i'm just kidding that's terrible too <laughs> they
0: can uh come to feel worse about things uh but yeah there's a lot of crazy stuff that happened so we can mm. be there okay And, oh, I would say um, we slept under Red Cross blankets. Uh, You know, I mentioned they came in and dropped them Yeah. So if you Google the um, Japan Red Cross Society, uh, then you can, you know, they have on their homepage, like the 2024 Noto Peninsula earthquake, and you can donate money there. I mean, we benefited from such donations so we'll definitely send money in that direction as well as the individuals as i talked about before i would also encourage everybody to like uh if you have thoughts concerns or prayers liquidate those into cash and Mm. then whatever that cash equivalent is then send that because the only way you can make a a thought for practical purposes doesn't even exist and a prayer is just like whispering into nothing that's all it is and so your thoughts and your concerns and you just shit on half of america yeah Yeah. i just shit on i think the majority of the world but it's time everybody grows up and here's the truth a prayer isn't actually a thing and uh, that has any tangible value or quality yeah send your money yeah money (laughs) can be converted into value like a blanket And then I slept under such a blanket from somebody who took action and gave money at some point. And that's the only thing of value that there really is in this kind of situation. So um, I would say go ahead and do that. And uh, if you used the word thought or prayer, this is a little bit, I feel like I'm throwing shade, but it's just something that you can take to be actionable. If you use the word thought, prayer, concern through the whole thing, and I'm speaking as somebody with standing as an evacuee, like representing much worse off evacuees, then you should feel like you need to tax yourself like $50 for every time you said the word. <laughs> and then that's the going rate in my mind, adjust okay. accordingly. But like for every time retroactively that you use the word, then just feel like you owe about 50 bucks to somebody. And the that's fair. J- Japan Red Cross Society is going to take those taxes and then put them into something like actually usable. And it's the only way to like uh make your thought or concern into something real and like generate something out of it. So that's what you have to do. And uh otherwise you're not really doing anything. So
1: yeah. I would also say that be careful of where you're throwing your money. Like definitely just put it to some reputable sources like the Red Cross. Yeah. Or if the SDF has like some sort of fund that they'll accept cash for that stuff. Yeah. But don't just give it online to Yeah. right places cuz they're going to take a chunk and then they're going to pass some off who's going to take a chunk and
0: yeah. yeah. And they're like sponsored if you search for the stuff on Google there'll be sponsored yeah. links for the first couple and just disregard those try to like do a modicum of research, just maybe even Google search, like best places to send money, try to find like a reputable source yeah. for that. And then it doesn't have to be the red cross. Mm-hmm. That's just the one where I saw the emblem on my own blanket. Um, yeah. And I know that they're converting money into like usefulness. So, um, yeah, that's and good. Th- they might not even give the best return on investment. I don't know, but that's just the one that, um, I saw Blankets pretty good helping me. Yeah, it was nice. I like that blanket. Uh, so definitely go uh, actually do give some money. I was writing in the paper. I wrote, um, so I'm asking you, dot, dot, dot. No, I'm actually telling you. Convert your money into it. I'm telling you to do it. Like, yeah. it's not really a thing that's optional to hear about and then not do. Uh, so you have to go do it. Okay, we will do. I, that wasn't directed at you, Mark. I'm not
1: sure. It's okay. You've yelled <laughs> at me enough. Yeah. <laughs> this like has been I'm an hour and a half long yeah. guilt
2: session for Mark. <laughs> yeah.
0: Riding high in your functioning house all week. You jerk. But anyway. Okay, I get it. <laughs> but uh, that is, that's it for the J-Pops today. Okay. Thank
1: you for sharing and thank you for listening. We hope this week's episode was informative and interesting. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us. Probably, I'm going to change this probably by email. Because nobody's checking Twitter. <laughs> so I'm just going to say info at, the J, or, uh, info at thejpops.com. And we'll talk to you next time. See you next time.